you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations, you're now members of the 114th Congress. Well, I think what needs to happen is for the president to paint a vision of the country, not just for this year, but beyond his presidency, but taking into account what he has accomplished over the last seven years. Now, in your district, which is in California, yes. in L.A., uh, you have seen a lot of what the president has done. What do you believe has been most important in terms of his accomplishments? Two things very important. Health care, no question. Millions of people in California are now covered who weren't covered before. And then also, seven years ago, I was just coming out of the state legislature, and California, our budget in California had gone to $83 billion. The budget that the governor just put out the other day is over $150 billion. So if that is not a dramatic difference in the economy, I don't know what is. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Now, it's interesting. We did a Republican radio row today, uh -huh. and all they would say is the president's um, health care plan is terrible. Oh. Uh, you know more about health care than almost anybody in this Congress, Republican, Democrat, or anything in between. I can tell you very clearly that in California, because our legislature, our elected officials have been very supportive of Obamacare, it really has worked very well. And let me just give you two examples. The fact that people are covered, but also if you take into consideration things like pre-existing conditions, so the fact that people can have health care, whereas before they were excluded from the health care you know, insurance because they had a pre-existing condition. I know. I lost my right eye after Hurricane Katrina. Ah, if it wasn't ah. for Obamacare, I'd be up a creek. Wow. And after you hit a certain age, everybody has a pre-existing condition. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, how do you intend to integrate your, uh, your social work and your, and your physician assistant work with your being a member? Oh, very, very specifically. Uh, one of the reasons I went to social work school is because I work on child welfare policy. And I really wanted to have an in-depth understanding of the child, child welfare system. So what better way to do that than becoming a social worker? Well, Congresswoman Karen Bass, thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks for having me on. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen. If you're wondering where you have arrived, make no mistake about it, America. It is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And... I don't know what you have on your menu tonight, but tonight we have a special selection, if you will. Congresswoman Karen Bass, and I'll tell you, folks, this is a woman making a difference in our nation's capital, and she is one that becomes a protector of children, if you want to call her that. Folks, hang on to your seats. We take a trip to our nation's capital. Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday kicks off right now. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening to you, all of America that's tuning in tonight, our friends in the United Kingdom as well as Australia and around the world. Uh, you've reached Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, and tonight we shine the spotlight on a magnificent woman, a, I call her humanitarian, making some differences in our nation's capital. And 
she is the creator, if you will, of the thought process behind the Foster Care Shadow Day and that initiative uh, coming up here on the 23rd of May that week. And I'll tell you, folks, this is a woman who cares about the American people, and she's doing some great things. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and the AJC radio team. And we're getting ready to have a good time tonight. Lisa, uh, we have had the privilege and the opportunity of talking to Congresswoman Bass. And what a magnificent woman in the things that she's doing there in our nation's capital, Capitol Hill. Oh, absolutely. She is doing so many great things. She's got, I mean, she's, for a small little woman, she's out, she's making a very, very big, big wave in the, in the ocean here. She's making some very big changes, and she's working hard and getting a lot of things done. And she comes from the sunny state of California, uh, Cliff, your old stopping ground, if you will. Uh, your thoughts on the congressman and what she's doing uh, is, is absolutely amazing. Your thoughts, Cliff? Yes, uh, you know, Congresswoman Bass is, uh, like Lisa said, she's maybe small in stature, but huge as far as the impact that she's making, especially there in California. You know, she's uh, she is the one who started many of the initiatives back, you know, when I was uh, uh, a late teenager, about 18 in the late 80s, early 90s, and you know, to fight against drugs and against the gang uh, warfare down there. And she's just continuing on, um, you know, in Congress, and, and we really appreciate it. Oh, without question. Dennis, your thoughts on this magnificent uh, young lady uh, doing some things. When we're going to get into her legislation, uh, the things that she is concerned about is the American people, uh, the middle class, poverty-stricken neighborhoods, uh, uh, child care and, and welfare protection for, you know, where kids are going to be protected, where she shows a vision and a light uh, to the children of America. Well, she's given an exclusive one-on-one interview uh, with us. And, uh, Dennis, your thoughts on, the, on Congressman Bass, Congresswoman Bass? Oh, I think hey, she's doing great things. I, I consider her an advocate, uh, really looking out, looking out for the foster children, uh, you know, looking out for, like you said, poverty. A lot of times our poor uh, you know, they get, uh, you know, kind of like uh, set in the back of our the middle class. But I'm, I'm truly thankful that there's somebody out there saying not only the middle class, but we're going to fight for the poor, too. Well, absolutely. She is a co-sponsor of the Recidivism Risk Reduction Act, uh, dealing with prentice, uh, excuse me, prison reform, sentencing reform, uh, a, a huge uh, person involved uh, with the criminal justice reform push, if you will, that's going on in, in Washington right now. Uh, she is a member of the Judiciary Committee uh, as well, uh, also uh, a member of the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, her name and her stamp is on a lot of things, folks, and uh, this is, again, I believe, uh, is setting up to be a real humdinger tonight as we talk about this young lady doing some things, uh, how she got involved with politics, the public service of giving back to the American people, and certain things without question uh, that she was seeing in California. A lot of challenges there uh, with a lot of neighborhoods and a lot of situations, uh, and even a really strong push uh, for women to actually run for public office. You'll hear a little bit about her uh, introduction to that. But, folks, again, going to be a good one. Lisa, I'll just come here, please, for our listeners. Yes, we just want to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide legal advice. You'll need to contact your own personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinion, opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. And as always, we want to thank you for taking some time out of your evening and spending it with us. 
Oh, thank you for that, Lisa. And folks, you want to call in tonight for this program? Uh, feel free. We're going to be talking about Congress, Congress, Congresswoman Bass. Uh, the most of the entirety of this show, uh, addressing the things that she's addressing, the challenges that she has met uh, as far as being a, a uh, African-American uh, member of Congress and a woman. Uh, you already know the challenges come with that. Okay. Uh, and she has set out and set the standard, if you will, to let none of those things hinder her uh, in the progress of what she has sent there to do. And we're so very proud of her. And our hats off to the Congresswoman tonight. Uh, we cannot go further without saying the Lisa, the foster care uh, uh, shadow day in Washington happened the week of May 23rd. Uh, we've been invited to that by Congresswoman Bass. We're going to be there to participate in that. Also, Congressman Tom Marino. Uh, Lisa, very passionate when we met with them on that. That actual interview with Congressman uh, Tom Marino and Congresswoman Bass will actually be coming uh, in the weeks to come prior to this great event happening in Washington, D.C. Lisa, your thoughts when we were talking to both of them, what you, don't, what you may not know is that Congressman Marino is a Republican. Congresswoman Bass is a Democrat. And, Lisa, when we saw them together in Washington, you thought for sure this was absolute family. Oh, absolutely. They're, I mean, it's the very essence of crossing the aisle. They, I mean, they work together so well. And neither one of them cares about what affiliation the other has. It's Absolutely. about we're trying to do something good, and whatever we can do, let's do it. Yeah. And what they're doing for children is, I mean, it's a passion that drives both of them so, so, so much. I mean, it drives them so hard to, to do everything they can to help these foster, foster children and to help to eliminate some of the problems that these kids are going to have uh, in their later years if they're not helped at this point in, in their early years. And I think what they're doing is having such an impact on those kids. It's just unbelievable. Well, Lisa, we'll have the privilege of being a part of that, again, by special invitation uh, by Congresswoman Bass and uh, AJC Radio. AJC Calls will be there uh, for that event. And, Lisa, I tell you, Washington, D.C. is buzzing about it. Uh, you know, there's several members of Congress that are participating uh, in this initiative. Uh, as we learned today, a great number of people uh, are concerned about the children of America. Uh, and as you know, Lisa, we talked before that, if, if, if the children in foster care are not caught now and the education and what Congresswoman Bass is doing to initiate that education and that knowledge, you, don't, you know, you may very well lose a lot of these kids to the streets, to drugs, to gangs, and got, I mean, without question, uh, the prison system, the judicial, the, the, uh, judicial system uh, on a negative way, so uh, in a very negative way, excuse me. So I think these are things, these are things that are very, very important. Uh, that we have to take a look at. So again, folks, if you want to dial in tonight and be a part of this program, we're going to give you, again, the opportunity, 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. And that interview uh, with the Congresswoman exclusively only here on AJC Radio, where you hear it, and we're going to bring it to you here uh, in a little bit later into this segment. But we, uh, we are excited about what's going on, a lot of things uh, happening uh, in this country right now, uh, current news, uh, I believe there was uh, something in regards, I think we talked the other night, um, I think we talked the other night in regards to, um, uh, I believe it was uh, Tamar Rice Cliff in regards to uh, that there was a settlement of some sort. Uh, right, that his family settled with the, uh, with the city for $6 million in, yeah. uh, in, you know, basically his wrongful death. Um, you know, that... I'm happy for the family that they have settled that, but, you know, it, it still, you know, like we said the other night, just leaves a bad taste in your mouth that there's no indictment, there's no charges. Um, 
And, you know, but I guess it is what it is. The family has made the decision that they made. We respect that. But, you know, it still seems like DOJ should step in and say, look, we need to do some type of investigation to find out what's going on. If nothing else, that they can get some type of federal help for for the training of those officers to say, hey, if you have a ch- some uh, issue involving a child, you know, use a little precaution, especially you get a call from the 911 dispatch and the dispatcher tells you, uh, it, we're pretty sure it's a, it's a, you know, it's a fake gun, uh, but we still, you know, the residents are looking for somebody to come check it out. There's got to be some type of training or something that that happened, so that things like this doesn't happen again. We're talking about a 12 year old kid. This is it's so sad, but you know, like I said, the family has made their decision. Uh, we we respect that, and um, you know, hopefully they can move on and get some type of uh, you know emotional. Uh, you know, healing or or at least at least some some closure from from the settlement. But still, for you know the police, uh, you know, uh, to say that uh, you know there were no wrongdoing. I, I think you know, like like you said, Cliff, it's great that you know that the family got some type of compensation. Uh, but I tell you, it's sad, you know, when we really didn't fix anything because right. you know you got a young kid that lost his life. Uh, just playing, you know, playing guns. I mean, we all used to do it, and and it's sad, you know, that no one, you know, that 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 we couldn't say, hey, at least at a minimum, we made a mistake. Right. If, if we at least accept that we made a mistake, then we know we there's something to fix. But if we admit that that we there were no wrongdoing, it's going to happen again. And and that's that's the only that's my only thing is that I wish that somebody would have been held accountable if that way we could easily look at it and say, okay, we got to fix it. Oh, got to be fixed. And uh, I was uh, just looking up uh, another story in Chicago. Chicago's having some major issues right now when it comes to uh, the death. The death toll in Chicago continues to rise. Uh, and uh, Cliff, the mayor uh, there continues to keep his job in spite of this type of rise in homicides in this country. Well, and the the bad part about, you know, you have the rise in homicide, you know, citizen on citizen, but then the things that are going on with the uh, with the police department there in Chicago, it's like, come on, something has to happen. Rahm, Rahm Emanuel has to make some type of decision on what he's going to do to get that city back under control. I mean, Chicago is well known for uh, being a violent place, for having issues, for police brutality. But, you know, it is the mayor's position, it is his job, his responsibility to go in there, shake some of those things out, at least get an answer for the people, you know, at least for the people of Chicago. If he's not going to answer the people of America that, you know, how did this happen on your watch? Uh, How is it that you claim as the mayor that uh, you didn't know that, you know, video existed with citizens being shot down. Another young black man there in, in Chicago being shot down by a police officer. The police officer saying he was being attacked. The video clearly shows that the young man was going in the opposite direction. And the mayor said, well, I, I didn't have any, uh, you know, after, what, a year, a year and a half investigation, the mayor says, I didn't have any idea that this video existed. Those are the type of things that just makes you say, you know what, there, it just, it leans toward corruption, and something needs to be done. There's got to be, again, accountability and 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 uh, transparency on what's going on there. And uh, you know, Chicago is one of those places, like another well, L.A. But 
Somebody has to take the responsibility for what's going on there. Well, Cliff, I think it speaks to the culture. I don't know if you remember the story. Back in January, uh, the end of January of this year, uh, Quintanto LeGreer, the Chicago teen who was fatally shot by police, called 911 three times the day he was killed asking for help and was hung up on by a 911 operator. Uh, according to ABC News, audio of the 19-year-old 911 calls made uh, uh, December 26th. And, again, this was at the beginning of this year when all of this came out. And I speak to this because it speaks to the culture that is there. Right. Uh, and it says it was released late Monday by Chicago's Independent Police Review Authority, which is investigating both LeGreer's death and the death of his neighbor, Betty Jones, 20, uh, 55 years old, was also shot and killed by police after she opened their apartment building door to let the police in. Wow. Did you hear that, ladies and gentlemen of America? She opened her door to let the police in and was shot and killed. Uh, that is uncomfortable. So what are you calling the police for? I'm letting you in to let you know I, I need your help, and you kill me? Yeah, that is, that is That's sick. ridiculous. I dial wow. 911, open my door, and you get shot by the cops. Not not by an assailant, somebody by you thought was a police officer uh, that came to rob you. The police come and shoot you when you call 911 saying, I need help. Well, he, Three sta- times. he states here earlier that day, LeGreer, the young boy who called 911, asking that a police officer be sent to his address. The first call was made at 4.18 a.m., and the last call was made three minutes later. There's an emergency. Can you send an officer, he said. He can be heard saying on one of the calls, during one call, LeGreer didn't respond to the 911 operator's questions, and the dispatcher hung up on the team. When the dispatcher asked the team what was wrong, he responded saying, someone is running, is ruining my life. He's called asking for help. Now we have a 911 operator hanging up the phone? You have got to be kidding me. This is a lack of training. This is a lack of due diligence by the mayor, by that entire office. And that culture, Cliff, as we talk about, often on this show, is a hard thing to break. But when body bags are getting filled up, it is time that action be taken. Folks, in a moment on the other side of this break, coming up, we will begin the spotlight on Capitol Hill as we shine the light on a pioneer, if you will, a woman of great strength, courage, and perseverance, making a difference in our nation's capital. What's her name? She's Congressman Karen Bass. We're Congresswoman Karen Bass. We're coming right back on the other side of this break. Folks, this is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We take off after this break. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call or just calls today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, 
dad's not in the other room to make him feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified. And in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we, we have, have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We, we can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. It is a good time to a point as we are addressing a young lady tonight and shining a spotlight. It's always good to have good news. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, we've had a lot of bad news lately, but some good news happening in our nation's capital is being inspired, if you will, by a lady by the name of Congresswoman Karen Bass. And uh, I'll tell you, folks, she's doing some things big things, if you will, involved with a lot of things in the criminal justice reform initiative, if you will, that's happening on Capitol Hill, as well as looking out for the children of America and our future. You, we're coming live to you tonight from Colorado Springs, Colorado. The temperature right now, 37 degrees, a little cloudy, some rain showers, a little cold. Uh, we woke up thinking that we need to break out the coats, but... Uh, I'll tell you what, 67 degrees in Los Angeles, where uh, Congresswoman Karen Bass calls home. Uh, It's 51 degrees in New York City, 56 degrees in Washington, D.C., under cloudy skies. But tonight, the sun will shine in AJC Radio as we deal with the young lady and address some good things happening, Dennis, in our nation's capital with Congresswoman Karen Bass uh, doing some good things. A couple, I mean, she is involved with every part of government that you can imagine. Your thoughts on that, Dennis? Yeah, I was thinking about the prison reform. I tell you, that is humongous right now. And then uh, bipartisanship, you know, working with, you know, uh, Republicans, everybody coming together to make this thing happen because uh, we have a problem. And if our our congressmen and women don't address them, uh, that problem is going nowhere. But I'm thankful that they have come together and they are putting something together to say, hey, it's time out. Uh, you know, the, you know, bringing them, bringing prisoners in and out, back and forth. It's time to 
fix it, and I, I commend it for that. Well, absolutely, and the Recidivism Risk Reduction Act uh, of 2015-2016 uh, that she is actually co-sponsor on uh, actually directs the Attorney General to develop a post-sentencing risk and needs assessment system, uh, make recommendations regarding recidivism, reduction programs, uh, and productive activities, conduct ongoing research and data analysis on the best practices relating to the use of offender risk and needs, uh, assessment tools, the best available tools, the most effective and efficient users of such tools, and the most effective programs for prisoners classified at different recidivism risk levels and for addressing the specific needs of prisoners. What this sounds like, uh, Lisa, in this particular bill, Cliff, as well, and Dennis, is that she is trying to, to give hope, if you will, to inmates that are being released back into society uh, and pushing that agenda to say, look, we're not doing enough. We don't have enough programs. The fact that Congresswoman Bass says, I am going to get involved with this, is based upon what she has seen herself. These are issues that every person in America, without question, uh, you don't have to have a TV to know what's going on in this country right now within, in, the, in the world of the criminal justice system. Cliff, when you think of those things and the fact just of how the bill reads, uh, for the congresswoman to put her name on it and say, I'm part of this, speaks volumes to her character and what her, and what her mission and her purpose is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it just goes back to that common sense. And look, once people have... Uh, you know, if they've committed a crime, they, everybody has made mistakes in their life, but you don't hold that mistake over their head for the rest of their life. Otherwise, you end up with a person that, you know, uses the uh, or ends up going through the system like a revolving door. If you say, okay, you get out, but we're going we're gonna to hold your record over your head. You're not going to be able to vote. You're not going to be able to get a job. You're not, you're not going to be able to get health care. You're, you're getting nothing from society because you made a mistake, and most of the time, you know, it's a mistake in, uh, at a very young age. Between the, the ages of 18 and 25, a person that did something during that time in their life deserves the right to say, okay, I made a mistake. I have paid my debt to society. Can I now, if, if I need assistance, can, can you not hold over my head the one mistake that I made, but help me to further myself and become a, a part of society that you know is 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 uh, viable that helps society that says here I'm I'm getting an education so I can get a job I can pay taxes and I can use the skills that I learned to help somebody else in society it's just common sense and you know what that's what we need in Congress yes common sense people to say you know what I've I've been down in the trenches I've seen it you know and I I am aware that Congresswoman Bass actually still does position assistant work. Uh, in California, um, does things, goes to clinics, checks things out. Um, as a member of the House Judiciary Committee, Congresswoman Bass is also working to craft sound criminal justice reforms that we're talking about, as well as protect intellectual property right infringements uh, that threaten the economic health of the 37th District. Uh, she was selected by the Democratic leader, Nancy Pelosi, to serve on the prestigious Steering and Policy Committee which sets the policy direction of the Democratic Caucus as organization, study and review chair. Congresswoman Bass is also playing a leadership role in the Congressional Black Caucus, caucus excuse me, where she serves as secretary for the 114th Congress. This is, this is really important. In her third term, Congresswoman Bass is solidifying leadership 
positions on two issues very close to her heart, reforming America's foster care system and strengthening the United States' relationship with Africa. In her first term, Congressmember Bass created the Bipartisan Congressional Caucus on Foster Youth, along with co-chair U.S. Representative Lisa, we talked about, Congressman Tom Marino, and intends to examine the national standards of care in the child welfare system. If this is not about getting down in a very complicated place, I don't know what is. Our children, and we've heard this, Lisa, from several members of Congress, they are the future of this country. They are our future politicians. They are our future leaders. And for Congresswoman Bass to say, I will get down in the trenches to save these kids from a very, very challenging situation from the foster care system, Lisa, that speaks high, very high volumes. It sure does. It tells you what she's all about and that she's serious about it. She, it she's, her passion is just, it just blew me away because she's so passionate about what she believes in. And that's, the, that's one of the biggest things that's, that's driving her right now. And, and, and Lisa, she, I couldn't have said it better myself. She is also co-chair of the Bipartisan uh, Bicameral Congressional Co- uh, Coalition on Adoption. She's working even for you know, people adopting children from the foster care system, saying, look, I'm willing to not only keep them in, I don't want them kept in the system, but let's find suitable homes for these children. And, and let's find parents that are concerned about being, maybe, you know, going all out to say, you know what, I'll step out and, and do my part and, and give a home to these children. Dennis, when you hear that, I mean, what does that do to you? I mean, I tell you what, it motivates me to say, what else can I do to get involved? That is the purpose, and I think that's the impact that she has on this country right now. Oh, that's awesome. I'm telling you, I was, as you were talking, you know, not only is she looking out for our foster, uh, you know, children and, and trying to truly get involved and change some things on, on how we do it, but she's also talking about, you know, preventing dropouts, you know, school dropouts. I mean, she's right. reaching, she's saying, okay, I'm talking about, you know, dealing with the children all the way through. Well, there you go. You know, our children is, they are our future. And if we don't, if we don't invest, if we don't, we, we don't put some money out there or some time or some care or some love or however you want to look at it, I mean, our children are suffering. So how do we fix it? We get involved. And that's what she's doing. I'm telling you, she's doing a good thing. No, absolutely. And uh, in addition, uh, it says here that uh, before Congresswoman Bass became an elected official, uh, Congresswoman Bass became interested in community activism as a child watching the civil rights movement with her father. Awesome. Uh, it was at that time that she made a lifetime commitment uh, to affecting social change in her community and abroad. She worked for nearly a decade as a physician assistant and served as a clinical instructor at the University of Southern California's Keck School of Medicine Physician Assistant Program. Uh, In 1990, in response to the crisis that was gripping inner-city America, which is Los Angeles, with crack cocaine and gang violence, Congresswoman Bass started and ran the Community Coalition, a community-based social justice organization in South Los Angeles that empowers residents to become involved in making a difference. Through her leadership at the Community Coalition, Congresswoman Bass worked to address the drug and violence epidemic and to engage community residents in addressing the root cause of injustice. Hold on, America. Does it get better than that? No, it doesn't get better than that. I mean, not only is she saying, okay, in your community we're looking at, you know, what is, what is going on? Why do we have all the gang violence? Why do we have 
so many drugs passing across the community. But then she deals with the fact of why the inner city community is like, why do you turn to drugs? Why do you turn to gangs? She deals with the fact of, okay, the injustices against inner city uh, people, you know, minorities, uh, you know, people of lower income. She said we need to deal with the injustice, the reason that they're turning the drugs to try to make a living, the reason they're turning the gangs instead of, uh, you know, going to community centers or, or leaning on families. She deals with both sides of the coin. She said, okay, yeah, sure, we need to deal with crime. We need to understand what we need to do to, uh, to ensure that we lower the crime, rate, but we, the crime rate, but we also need to make sure that the people who feel like uh, injustice is being done against them, we need to understand why they feel that way and fix that problem. That's absolutely awesome. Folks, pull up to the table. I'm not going to extend this anymore. You know when you're young and it's time for supper, mom says it's time for dinner, folks, and you run into the table. I'm not going to delay this any longer. It's time for supper. And I'll tell you, on the menu, Congresswoman Cameron Bass talking to AJC Radio. Well, hello there, Congresswoman Bass. How are you? I'm doing just fine. How are you? You're doing well. We appreciate you taking a moment with us uh, today, and but appreciate you taking some time with us. And congratulations, Congresswoman, on the uh, the bill we got word the Corrections and Recidivism Reduction Act, and uh, some good things. You had some good remarks, strong remarks, and uh, we appreciate your strength and courage in getting things done there in Washington. Thank you. And uh, as we go, as we talked before, uh, Congresswoman Bass, we discussed that the purpose of Spotlight on Capitol Hill is to shine the light on the members of Congress who are doing things and are doing a lot of work and really bringing that message to the American people across these United States uh, and around the world um, through our broadcast. uh, Going uh, up to over 20 million listeners strong and growing. Uh, we believe that this is important that members are given an opportunity to share and for people to learn, the American people to learn uh, that there are misconceptions, there are uh, things that are just put out there about our members that simply are not true. And uh, we have had a huge le- level of success and response from uh, citizens all over the United States, even in Australia, the UK, that are talking about Spotlight on Capitol Hill and what we are doing. So we are honored to have you. Uh, and we appreciate you taking some time uh, with us today. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate that. Okay, and the first topic, Congresswoman, we want to go into, and Lisa's here. Lisa, uh, uh, she's with us as well. She, she met with you in, in Washington as well. Lisa, say hello. Good afternoon, Congresswoman. How are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. Okay, and what we'd like to talk about first off is this new bill. Uh, Congresswoman Bass, if you want to explain a little bit of the importance of that bill, and what was the motivation and the passion, and looks like bipartisan, uh, working uh, together, make this happen? Can you give us a little bit of information on that to our listeners? Sure. Well, I would say over the past uh, 12 months or so, if not maybe even a little longer, I think there has become our beginning of a realization that the Uh, laws that were passed over the last 20 years that absolutely led to the mass incarceration resulting in the United States having more people in jail and prison than any country on the planet is really a shame and at the very at the very 
minimal. It is a um, it's a waste. It's a waste of, of human capital, and it's certainly a waste of the national treasure. And so uh, people have begun rethinking our criminal justice system. And so part of that uh, led to the Corrections and Recidivism Reduction Act, which is essentially a way of looking at uh, some of the ways that people are incarcerated for sentencing and giving more authority back to judges that was taken away in the early 80s, and then also looking at ways to help people leave prison. So, for example, allowing inmates to earn credit for good behavior toward an alternative arrangement so they wouldn't necessarily be in prison, but they might be in a halfway house in the community. Um, Looking at some criminals, though, you know, depending on their crimes, they wouldn't be eligible but uh, really beginning to rethink how and why we sentence people in this country. So I think it was a significant first step. I think much, much more needs to be done, but I certainly applaud the beginning of rethinking how we have gone about addressing crime in our community. Oh, absolutely, and a very, very good point on that. And Congresswoman Bass, we have found – uh, through some of the things that we have researched here at Just Calls and AJC Radio, a lot of uh, distrust right now in our country, or mistrust rather, uh, among communities and law enforcement. Um, and as the Judiciary Committee, uh, we see a lot of uh, efforts by the judiciary. We had the opportunity to meet with Congressman, Congressman Jeffries out of New York, uh, and he says there's a collective effort what do you think is bringing – we know there's partisan issues all over the Hill and, and with members, and we're on one side or we're on this side. We have seen, as you alluded to, uh, people are coming together because I think the problem is of such you have to just be a human being to know it has to be fixed. It doesn't matter whether you're Democrat or Republican or Independent. We have a problem in this country right now, as you said, the largest incarceration rate in the world, um, and uh, I'll tell you – what are your thoughts on the future as we are we sit on the brink of a of course of an election year a new president um, members of the congress seats coming up there how how do you see going forward uh at least optimistically that we're going to be able to get things done given the challenges that faces america right now in regards not only to criminal justice reform but all the things that we're facing right now as a country well, I'm actually very uh, optimistic that we're going to be able to get things done. I do have to tell you, though, that, that the, the system right now, the system in Washington, D.C., is a little bit in shock behind the presidential election. Uh, my colleagues um, on the other side of the aisle who are in control of things are definitely struggling with uh, how to address the current situation where there looks like there is a nominee that they're concerned about. And so I think that has had a rippling effect to our ability or lack thereof to get things done on the Hill. But I'm optimistic that as soon as this situation is resolved, and I do believe it's going to be resolved in the next few weeks, things will calm down and we will be able to get back to the business of uh, moving forward with criminal justice reform and the other issues that we're dealing with on the Hill. Well, good deal. That's, that's, that's definitely good to know. You need a little optimism uh, going forward as people are striving and looking for liberty and uh, life and all these good things that come that are supposed to come as being uh, citizens of this country. Uh, we do know 
one thing very passionate to you, Congresswoman Bass, that we had a, a few weeks ago, a month ago or so in Washington, and that is the foster care uh, youth uh, initiative that you folks are doing up there. We are excited. We'll be there for that. Uh, and we are, yeah, and I, we're and we let me say this, Congresswoman Bass, we appreciate the invitation uh, to be a part of something so great and unique. And I'll tell you. We're excited about that. Why don't you tell the folks a little bit about that and why that passion is so important to you as we get ready for that great event coming up here in a couple of months? Well, we were just talking about the criminal justice system, and one of the drivers to the prison population in our country is the child welfare system, the foster care system. When we do not take care of this population, unfortunately, they many of them wind up incarcerated and so i just think it's one of the fundamental inequities in our country that there is no excuse for there's no excuse for the richest country in the history of the world to not be able to figure out how to take care of half a million children so on any given year about a half million children are removed from home for abuse or neglect and unfortunately when they enter the foster care system they are continually abused and neglected because in many places, in many instances, the system is broken. And so we're gathering together to try to stop that. And one way we do that is to educate my colleagues, members of Congress, about the system. So at the end of May, every year, May, by the way, is National Foster Care Month. So at the end of May, we bring 50 to 100 young people here to shadow their specific member of Congress. And their, their goal that day is to share their story with their congressional representative. And so uh, you'll be coming along for that. We'll be happy to see you. The young people will be here for over a three-day period. And uh, we bring them in, make sure that they can get adjusted and understand how Capitol Hill works, teach them about how to interact with a member of Congress, and then cut them loose. And uh, they come back together after their shadow experience and debrief, and oftentimes their member of Congress comes with them. And it's a very inspiring day that members of Congress now fight over because they get mad if there's not a young person shadowing them. So we always have to make sure that we find the young people to do that with. And I think, uh, Congresswoman Bass, it is so uh, admirable uh, of what we heard in that interview. Uh, and we're going to be actually running that show uh, closer to that date to let people know what you and, and Congressman Moreno and the members there are doing. We are so excited. Uh, and I think it's like you said, the energy, if you got congressmen and congresswomen saying, look, I want somebody to shadow me. It, the children are truly our future. And uh, for what you are doing, it, it speaks volumes uh, of your integrity, your honor as a person. And I mean, we're just blown away with that because the children sometimes go un they really go forgotten. And for a member of Congress in your position to say, look, that's not going to happen on my watch. We are going to do things to fix this problem. Uh, AJC Radio salutes you, Congresswoman, for what you were doing. I think Lisa had a question for you. Thank you. Yeah, Congresswoman Bass, I uh, just had a quick question. Uh, what do you feel like the children, when they leave there, what do you believe that they're leaving there with? What are they taking back with them from this time that they spend there with the members of Congress? Well, I think they leave very excited. I think they leave feeling um, very full of themselves, and we want them to feel that way. They feel very empowered. I mean, they were up on Capitol Hill. They meet with the members of Congress. They tell them what they think the member of Congress needs to be doing. We take them over to the White House. 
they have an opportunity to see the White House and to uh, meet with representatives of the administration. So I think, if anything, they leave here pumped up and ready to go. Now, one of the things that we're doing now, we weren't able to do this in the, in the early years, but now we have the capacity to actually stay in contact with the young person. So oh. they leave here, but we keep them connected and keep them involved in identifying areas of policy that they think needs to be changed and continuing to talk to that member of Congress. Oh, wow, that's great. That's pretty awesome. And uh, ladies and gentlemen of America, as you hear the Congresswoman share this, um, I'll tell you what, it's important, and we want to push that point, and I'm going to ask the Congresswoman a question on this momentarily. This is why you go out and you vote. Uh, We are in an election year. It is critical that your voice be heard in this election. Um, and I say it all the time, Congresswoman Bass, that you know when we do the spotlight on Capitol Hill, uh, I'll say to the folks, whatever d- district or state they're from, is look, folks, you got it right. And uh, I have no doubt that California got it right when they went to the polls and voted for you without a question. Uh, you need, Thank you. <laughs> you need that type of touch on the Hill, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic as well that the more the American people are hearing these type of things. Uh, and they see Congresswoman Bass, the woman uh, that is doing things, that's not talking this talk, but walking the walk. Uh, I'll tell you what, it'll motivate you to go, you know, to get up and go in your car and get to that district, wherever you're going to vote, and do it. And uh, as to that point, uh, we understand the voting rights situation, uh, the issues, the different uh, limitations that were put on certain places in this country for voting that somewhat hinders the process. Uh, we did meet with Congressman uh, Butterfield, chair of the uh, Congressional Black Caucus, discussing the importance of protecting the rights of all to vote without hindrances. Your thoughts on that, Congressman Bass, is, is again, we are in an election year. Well, I bring a, uh, a slightly different perspective because I serve on the Foreign Affairs Committee, and I travel the world with many of my colleagues, and I sit and I listen to people um, lecture governments in other countries about the need for democracy and expanding the right to vote and then come back home and we are doing what we can to block people from voting. So in Alabama, for example, they pass very strict voter ID laws and you have to have a government-issued ID. Well, most people, the only government-issued ID they have is their driver's license. Or as soon as they pass the requirements saying you need it, Uh, government ID, then they shut down the government offices in areas with large African-American populations. So, unfortunately, this struggle that is so old in our country continues on. And I think that um, we need to understand how significant it is to have the right to vote. And to not exercise that right, I think, is, is, is quite shameful. I believe that the outcome of this election is going to determine the direction our country is going to go into uh, for the, the next 25, 30 years, in particular because of the Supreme Court appointments that await us. So I think that uh, this is a critically important um, election for our future. No, no, absolutely, and, and well said there. And uh, to that point, Congresswoman Bass, we, we know the issue. Uh, with It's all over the news. President Obama intends to appoint uh, or to at least select uh, a Supreme Court uh, nominee, and uh, I'll tell you, our position is clear on this. I want to ask your your uh, position and, and perception of it. This is the fact that President Obama took an oath 
for every single day that he occupies the White House in the Oval Office. And it sounds like to me that, at least based upon what I've read and researched and on the polls, that the American people in, in, in whole agree that the president should do his job. And that's what he's asking members of Congress to do. In a situation, you're not talking about uh, drug courts. You're talking about the Supreme Court of the United States and laws and, and legislation and, and actually the culture of a nation is shaped as a result of who's in, the, in those seats. Your thoughts on that is, as people have somewhat attacked the president um, just for saying, I'm going to do my job. Well, I think we've seen that from day one, even before he um, moved into the Oval Office. We, we have seen that. I think he is going to do his job. He is going to put forward a nominee, and then the question will be whether or not Congress will do our job. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be watching that. And uh, uh, one last point, Congressman, we didn't want to keep you too long. I'm not sure how much time you had to spend with us today. Um, but we appreciate uh, you taking some time with us. One last question, if I can ask, um, is in regards, of course, to ISIS. They're back in the news today. I guess there's an operative that's been capti- uh, captured. Uh, people are talking about that. ISIS seems to be a real threat in this country, uh, a major threat. And how do we tell the American people that, you know what, we're going to get it right, and how important is it that we take whatever steps necessary to keep the homeland safe? Well, I think it's a matter of life or death. I really do. And I don't think that ISIS is at our doorstep, but there is the potential for copycats or what we saw in San Bernardino to happen anywhere, anytime in our country. And so we have to, um, we have to end this at its source. And at its source is, is overseas in Syria and Iraq and now moving into Libya. Uh, we have to think about the Taliban in Afghanistan. All of these threats that are very, very far away are absolutely threats to us right here. I'm in Los Angeles. I have to be concerned, uh, certainly in Washington, D.C. Just those two areas alone are two of the most high-profile targets for terrorists in the world. So this is a matter of our life, our death, and uh, I do believe that we're headed in the right direction. And then we appreciate that, Cong- Congresswoman. And I want to share one thing and salute you again on the Corrections and Recidivism Reduction Act. And I quote, uh, you made a statement, and this was, I thought was really human here. You made the statement, I guess there were officers within our system restraining women, pregnant inmates. You state that restraining pregnant inmates, especially when they are giving birth, is barbaric. It is ludicrous to think a woman prisoner giving birth would be at risk of escaping. I am glad that the final bill contains language that I authored that will prevent women prisoners from being restrained unnecessarily while they are, while they are pregnant or giving birth. And several states have already outlawed, outlawed this practice, and you feel the federal government should as well. You know what? I just learned something today. I had no idea that I wasn't aware of that either. That is unbelievable. Didn't know we, you didn't know he participated in such barbaric behavior. We do. No. Oh, no. That is a first for me that you want to restrain a woman given – she's not in she, – number one, she doesn't have the energy to get oh, up no. and run anywhere. She's not going anywhere. Uh, and I'm a, not a woman who is in her last trimester of pregnancy has a hard time walking. <laughs> That's right. Wow. Well, Congresswoman, we appreciate your, your, your human spirit, uh, your humanitarian spirit, 
and the protection of what you're doing in, in Washington to protect the rights of Americans and to make this a civilized nation, uh, I cannot say enough. We salute you from the bottom of our hearts. We honor you tonight on this program uh, to say thank you for your service to this country and what you continue to do. And we are so looking forward uh, to sitting down with you and, and seeing you. We're excited about this event. And I'll tell you what, going forward, we'll probably be there every year uh, to be part of something so special. We're humbled that you would uh, ask us to be a part of it. Wonderful. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, and I look forward to staying in touch. Okay, take care, Congresswoman, and we'll uh, forward you when this show will air. And thank you for your time today. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, uh, a pioneer, if you will, of the patriotic spirit uh, and the protection of the human spirit and the rights of all Americans. Lisa, when you hear her talk, um, what a passionate woman, but believes in what she's doing and doing things, as we say all the time on this program, that shapes the culture and lays the foundation of our tomorrows in this country. Your thoughts on that? Yes, she does. She's a very... She's a very passionate, strong woman. She, she's very much concerned about about the people of this country. And uh, I mean, not just the women, not just the black women. She's concerned with everyone's well well being, and she makes it known. She just makes it known. Well, we're excited, and we're talking about Congresswoman Karen Bass making a difference. And she's from California, and I'll tell you, occupies. A very important role in our in our capital, on our nation's uh, in in Congress, excuse me, uh, and is making a difference that not only touch our lives but the lives of our children and their children to come. Tonight we honor Congressman Karen Bass. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother and. I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll-free at 
1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. The racial composition of the prison population in the United States is very different from the population at large. If people are worried about inequality in America today, I think this deserves more attention in the discussion. Racial inequality in the criminal justice system gets ignored because it doesn't affect most people. In 2010, over 1.6 million people were in state and federal prisons within the United States. So 497 out of every 100,000 Americans were in jail about half of 1%, less than 1%. That doesn't seem very large, but when you separate that population by race, you recognize that the personal effects of the criminal justice system are very unequally shared throughout our society. Whites make up 64% of the total population, but only 31% of the incarcerated population. Blacks represent 14% of society, but 36% of the prison population. Hispanics are 16% of America, but 24% of the American prison population. Less than one in a hundred Americans are currently in jail, but for some races, genders, and age groups, that ratio is a lot larger. For example, if you're young, black, and male, it's closer to about one in four. That means you'd have a higher probability of going to jail than of getting married or going to college. These results are unequal and problematic as poor black communities lack so many of their members. But what can be done? The causes of this trend are undoubtedly complicated and multi-causal. But there is reason to suggest that part of the blame is our criminal justice system itself. In the way police officers enforce laws, in the ways that laws are written and prosecuted, and more. In many cases, it is not overt racism by individual actors. Many police officers, prosecutors, and judges are undoubtedly trying to be fair and trying to do the right thing. But economics can explain how unequal enforcement of the criminal law happens anyway. This is because the political and bureaucratic structure of the criminal justice system creates perverse incentives. The formal laws surrounding drug prohibition, for example, are written as if to be colorblind. But people with different levels of wealth face different costs and benefits to participating in the drug trade. Different groups consume different drugs at different rates. And lastly, those groups are politically represented in very different quantities. Thus, they are arrested and incarcerated at very different rates. How could minority groups hope to use the political process to fix inequality when they are systematically over-incarcerated and disenfranchised? Despite noble intentions, politics often does not affect the basic incentives of costs and benefits faced by political or citizen actors. We might need a new approach to social change if we are going to address these problems. We definitely need more study into the causes of inequality, and we should admit that radical changes might be both necessary and preferable to the status quo.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And folks, I'll tell you, if you if you were not feeling patriotic at the beginning of this program, I'll guarantee you, you should have your flags posted somewhere in your home tonight as we have actually spotlighted a patriot of America. And that is Congresswoman Karen Bass. Doing some things, as we keep saying, in that interview, Lisa, uh, you're talking about uh, setting the bar of her excitement, her enthusiasm, all the things that you heard in that interview. What were your thoughts? I know you were there, but when you hear it again, what does it, what does it trigger? Well, just just reminds you of how much we need people like her out there working in our behalf. We need her people like her helping the children. We need people like that that are willing to do what they can. There are so many things that people can do that they're just not willing to do. And Congresswoman Bass is willing to do what she can and go beyond that and try to pull others in and get more people to do what they're able to do. And if everybody did everything that they could do, this our country would be in a lot better shape than it is now. Oh, without question. Dennis, when you when you sit back and listen to this woman and her passion, uh, her purpose-driven life, uh, your thoughts? I got real. I mean, that it's, it's very seldom when you, you hear of a congressman or, or, or woman, you know, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of them out there that are truly about taking care of uh, the citizens of this uh, United States of America, but she just seemed so real, down to earth. It's, it wasn't political, you know. It, it, was, it was more like, "Hey, we got to take care of our children. We got to fix our justice system. We got to do what's right to make sure our citizens know that there there are Congresswomen and men out there that's fighting for uh, the American citizens." I tell you, I'm just all I can say is real. Well, there you go, and, you know, that's a compliment in today's world because we see so little of it. Uh, uh, Cliff, your thoughts on the congresswoman and, and her passion, again, as Dennis alluded to, uh, you, you, you might as well be sitting around the table uh, with a cup of lemonade uh, on the front porch or wherever you're at, and, uh, you know, you would never know she's in that position. She talks to you as one of the girls, one of the guys. Cliff, yeah, your thoughts? Absolutely. I mean, she is extremely down to earth. I know that when we were uh, there in Washington talking to her and, and uh, Congressman Marino, you know, she came in. She asked you for some of your cheeses. Yeah. I mean, like, like, like she had been known. <laughs> she like, grabbed the bag. Yeah. She said, "Hey, let me get Yeah. I mean, she comes in like, like she's been knowing you forever. Like you're a part of her family, a part of her community, and she fights for you that way, especially for the for the foster kids. They have a special place in her heart, uh, you know, hence the reason that she started that foster care initiative. But it's just she's down to earth. She's personable. But she, I mean, she, fight, she fights like a Wolverine. I mean, when, when you hear her speak, you'll never know, you know, I'm 6'5". I think Congresswoman Bass is a, a very, uh, you know, a little bit over five feet. But, you know, looking at her, it's like, okay, you're this small woman, but... When you hear her speak, it, it's like a lion roar because she's not go. she's not going to take no for an answer when it comes to those kids or the issues that are that she's passionate about, and she's not going to take a back seat when she knows that what she's saying is right. And you got to commend that. There's there's nothing else but to say you know what you stand up for what you believe in. You're passionate for the things are right, and that's what it is about. That's what every member of Congress should possess 
and Congresswoman Baz does a, a great job of it. Oh, absolutely. And when you hear her comments uh, and her efforts towards criminal justice reform, uh, she makes this statement, says, Many of our criminal justice policies are good. They protect our loved ones and communities. But at the same time, far too many of our laws are ineffective or do more harm than good. I am committed to reforming criminal justice so that it is sensible, effective, and consistent with our notions of equality and fairness. And as a member of the House Judiciary Committee and its task force on overcriminalization, I'm urging reforms that will improve criminal justice. I believe we could drastically reduce prison overcrowding by repealing harsh mandatory minimums and reserving the toughest sentences for serious criminals who threaten public safety. We should invest in community-oriented crime prevention and intervention efforts for struggling neighborhoods and at-risk youth. In addition, we need to ensure that those who have paid their debt to society have reentry services and opportunities to live productive lives. Uh, I'll tell you, that's a lot of that's a very short paragraph, but it is loaded with huge amounts of knowledge here that. Congressman Bass, Congresswoman Bass is saying that we have an issue, and she says there are some good things with the system. And Dennis, it goes back to your point about her. They call it keeping it real. Uh, we're going to just keep it 100. Uh, that's the <laughs> statements, and that's how they stated uh, the, the, one of the most popular sayings uh, in the world today. Uh, but when you hear her talk about that, she's not completely badgering the system. She's aware there is some good there, uh, but she's saying we got to a long way to go. We got a journey that we have to travel here, and I like the point where she says, "When our laws are uh, uh, are sensible, effective, and consistent, uh, I think consistency is the major problem in our criminal justice system right now. We have two forms of justice: one for the rich, one for the poor, one for the African American community, uh, the minorities. That's unequal justice." She's saying here. It should be consistent with our notions as a nation of equality and fairness. When you hear that, Dennis, I'll tell you what, that's, that's the whole answer to the problems we face in this country with criminal justice reform, isn't it? I agree. I agree totally. You can't have, you know, different uh, laws for, you know, our citizens. I mean, you can't divide the laws. You can't say, okay, this this is for the blacks, this is for the whites, this is for the rich, poor. You can't do that. And that's what she's saying. She's not saying that our justice system is, it cannot be fixed. It's just there's some things that we need to do. First of all, we need to make sure that we treat everyone the same. Once we get to that point, it's, it will fix itself. There you go. There you go. And that, I mean, yep. you know, just to add to that, that that's where, uh, you know, liberty and justice for all, for all comes from. <laughs> it's not liberty and justice for the rich, liberty and justice for for the, uh, you know, the black, the white, the, the fat, the skinny. It's for everybody across the board. If you don't have that, then you end up with a government uh, system that's a tyranny. And nobody wants to live under a tyranny. You cannot bring people together. Uh, a tyrant does not bring people together. A tyrant separates. A tyrant basically breaks the country down. And eventually, most tyrants end up getting assassinated. That's what yeah. happens. And so, I mean, in America, we say, hey, liberty and justice for all, everybody, equal rights. That's the way it should be. And Congresswoman Bass is pushing toward that end. 
Well, there you have it. And a very special shout-out to even her staff, uh, the folks out there that Lisa made it possible. Uh, so Dan over there and Jasmine doing things, pulling the events and the youth care initiative and all those things together. We dare not leave out the staff that's helping the engine run. Uh, we give our uh, we salute you tonight as well uh, in the in the progression and the progress of what we're of what you folks are doing out there on Capitol Hill. Uh, one very key point is uh, of the legislation that Congresswoman Bass co-sponsored is the Success Act. Uh, it repeals the law that strips young people of needed college aid after being convicted of even minor drug offenses. That is a huge issue in the criminal justice system. She is saying we're gonna, we need to repeal those laws that strip young people of needed financial aid, which means there's certain things, and that's what I get from this, that there are limitations of financial aid to students if they've had a run-in with the law. And she says for minor Drug offenses, those are, th- those are dinosaur, uh, if you will, laws that need to be done away with. Um, she goes further to say, uh, doing, under the Success Act, Youth Prison Reduction Through Opportunities, Mentoring, Intervention, Support, and Education Act. I'm sorry, this is a different act. And it supports juvenile delinquency and gang prevention and intervention to help build individual, family, and community strength. You have the Student Disciplinary Fairness Act establishes an Office of School and Discipline Policy to reduce the number of children incarcerated based on activity at school. She goes further. The Universal Respect Act prohibits federal law enforcement from engaging in racial profiling. Smarter Sentencing Act reduces certain 20-year, 10-year, 5-year mandatory minimum drug sentences to 10, 5, and 2 years. It also permits federal prisoners in prison for crack offenses to seek fair punishment. She goes further with the Justice Valve Act, Safety Valve Act, allows a court to sentence below the mandatory minimum if the mandatory minimum is too harsh. I mean, every stamp, every footprint, if you will, on criminal justice, Congresswoman Bass is doing things. And you see a lot here, Dennis Cliff, Lisa, where she is really concerned about the children, the future. Wait a minute. Do we just throw young people away? Because they have some issues in school, different things that we were involved in as kids. In today's world, you're going, you're getting handcuffed That's and taken true. out of the school. Just simply unacceptable. Let's hear the congressman speak a little bit more to the foster care help uh, and and basically really putting the bringing the message home to our constituents why this is such an important issue to help young people. And it starts many times with that foster care system to, to rescue some of these children. Let's see what she had to say. Thank you. Thank you, Ranking Member Doggett. I rise today in support of the Promoting Adoption and Legal Guardianship for Children in Foster Care Act. First, I'd like to commend Chairman Camp and Chairman Reichert and Ranking Members Levin and Doggett for their great work on this legislation and their ongoing commitment to our nation's foster youth. As the co-chair of the Congressional Caucus on Foster Youth and the Congressional Caucus on Adoption, I sincerely appreciate your leadership and partnership on this issue. Since 1997, when the adoption incentives legislation became law, we have seen a significant reduction of the number of kids in foster care and, more importantly, an increased number of kids in forever families. Yet there are still over 400,000 children in our nation's child welfare system, many awaiting the stability and love of a permanent family. 
Unfortunately, studies show that a foster youth, especially those who age out, are much more likely to experience poverty, unemployment, homelessness, incarceration, and compromised health after they leave foster care. Each year, nearly 30,000 teenagers age out of foster care without a permanent family. We know that this is unfair and unacceptable. We must strengthen policies that help to find forever families for our nation's foster children, especially our older youth. I'd like to focus my remarks on one of the noteworthy aspects of the bill, the enhanced support for legal guardianship. By making this investment, we will ultimately help more kids find permanent families, often with relatives. Today's foster care system looks much different than the child welfare system of previous decades. While children continue to be placed in foster homes with strangers or in group homes, more than half are placed with a relative caregiver, a grandmother, aunt, uncle, or older sibling. In fact, in my district in Los Angeles, relative caregivers are the largest foster care providers. Research shows that foster placement with relatives are good for children. They often allow children to stay in their schools, receive continued support from their community and culture, and feel connected to families that continue to love them. Despite the importance of relative caregivers, they face unique obstacles. Becoming a caregiver changes lives in every way, physically, emotionally, and, and financially. Stable middle-class families or seniors who live on their life savings are often pushed to the brink of poverty because they have accepted the unexpected financial burden of caring for a child. Well, there you have it. Um, wow. Dennis, Cliff, Lisa, we 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 use the word patriot on this program quite often, but I think we've hit another level here tonight with Congresswoman Karen Bass. She not only is reaching out to the children, but the caregivers who give of their time, their money, the sacrifice of saying, I will get involved in this fight to protect the foster children of America. Uh and she is, as I go back to the realness, Cliff, when you hear her speak, it's not a, a prepared speech. Right. It is not something, let me get the teleprompter out. The only teleprompter Congresswoman Bass is going off of is that which lies in her heart. Cliff, when you hear her again, it's just not one subject, one topic. She now says we need to help the caregivers. Exactly, and I mean, she's even dealing with the caregivers that uh, that are family members of the foster kids because she understands that even though I may be your uncle, your aunt, your grandmother, your grandfather, uh, you know, a cousin or whatever, it still is a is a sacrifice for that person to take on a foster uh, child to bring them into their family to to sacrifice of themselves, to maybe put their career on hold, to uh, maybe, you know, put uh, another thing that they wanted to accomplish, to put that on hold while they help out a foster kid, even if it's one of their relatives. She understands that, okay, that's still a sacrifice. Let's help that person out. Let's reward that person that is reaching out to say, I see, the, I see one of these kids that are in trouble, that needs help, that maybe my relative, but I might not have the means. I might not be in the in the best position, but I want to be able to do something. And Congresswoman Bass is saying, I am putting into law that 
you will have help. You will have what you need to ensure that that child has the has the uh, best possible future. Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, like you said, it comes from her heart. This is not – you never get the sense from her that she's saying, okay, well, is this going to get me another vote or how is this going to make me look to, to my party? She's saying, this is coming from my heart. This is about people, not just the people, not just my constituents of my district of California and Los Angeles, but the people of America, this is about who – not them – but who we are, you know, as a, awesome. as a group. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, when you think about that, um, I mean, what if Congressman Bass, Congresswoman Bass, if you're listening tonight, excuse me, we salute you here on AJC Radio, and I'm sure the, the, the message is clear to all of our listeners across this country right now. It gives you a, a different type of feeling when you talk with her, Dennis, that uh, – this is something real going on, and it needs to become contagious on the hill. Uh, that's been our first impression of her from the first time we met Congresswoman Bass. This smile, always got a smile, always. Uh, and I'll tell you, uh, this is this is awesome. And uh, Cliff, we have someone that wanted to uh, have a comment in regards to what we're discussing regarding the Congresswoman. Yeah, uh, we have a caller that um, has a comment about the things that she's hearing about congresswoman bass tonight and uh you know the great things that she's doing for the uh for the foster kids the things that she's doing for uh criminal justice reform uh just everything about who congresswoman bass is uh we have june from colorado springs uh june go ahead you're live hi uh, can you hear me yes hello yes. yes we hear you okay thank you for taking my call and as I was listening, I, I commend Congresswoman Bass on her work uh, in Washington and also to hear about uh, uh, cooperation with the bipartisans because you hear so much about uh, disagreements in Congress and the Democrats and Republicans not getting along. It's refreshing to hear um, that you are getting the word out to everybody through Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And I enjoyed listening, and thank you very much for your work. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for that, uh, Jim. We appreciate the call. Uh, yeah, this is this is something that, again, is, I believe is catching fire uh, across this country. Congresswoman Bass is motivated and, and talks a little bit about her passion in getting uh, into public service. Let's hear what she had to say uh, when she was speaking to that fact and the importance of what drove her for public service. I was really inspired to be involved in politics as a child because of everything that was happening during the 60s, the civil rights movement, the protests against the war in Vietnam. And so it was really something I grew up with. And Congresswoman Diane Watson called me up one day and told me that I had been a community activist long enough and I needed to go serve in Sacramento. And uh, I had no interest in doing that at all. But she told me that at the time there were no African-American women in the state legislature. And I certainly felt a sense of obligation when she told me that. And I was extremely honored when my colleagues uh, decided that they wanted me to run for speaker and then elected me speaker. Uh, at one point, we were able to uh, win a tremendous amount of resources 
for the child welfare system in California, and that was an extremely proud moment. And I've had equally proud moments here in Washington, D.C. But young women in particular, what I tell them to do is to identify an issue that you are really interested and passionate about, get deeply involved in that issue, and then figure out whether or not you want to run for office. Women typically don't decide they're going to run. Other people push them to run. And so I tell young women that all the time so that they'll actually begin to change that mindset. Congresswoman Karen Bass leaving her basically a footprint, if you will, on our nation's capital, but on our nation as a whole, uh, doing some great things. Uh, Dennis, uh, she talks about her passion. Uh, talked about earlier how she uh, got into public life, uh, public service. Uh, those were things that was, as a little girl, and maybe, Dennis, Cliff, Lisa, maybe that's why we're hearing something a little different here. A lot of people in Congress may not run until or have a mind to run until their mid-20s, sometimes, you know, maybe their 30s, even later than that sometimes in life. There was an imprint left on the congresswoman's life as a child, Cliff, when she talked about being, seeing her uh, father watch things with her father doing the civil rights movement. In your perspective, Cliff, how big of an impact must that have been? Well, it speaks to her uh, her character. It speaks to her her morals as a person. That even as a child, uh, there was something inside of her that says, "I want to see equality for all people. That it it shouldn't depend on the color of your skin, where you're from, uh, what means you have. That shouldn't that should not determine what level of justice you should have. Justice should be." justice for everyone and, and and i mean to to see that that even as a child she looked and said you know something is wrong with the fact that one group of people can have justice and another group uh do not and since that time she has been going about to ensure that uh you know there's that that there's equality for all American people, that there's equality actually for for uh, everyone worldwide, because she does do a lot of uh, you know um, you know foreign affairs work Internet, as well. Yes. But you know when you when you look at that, you say even as a kid, she was already engaged, already saying, "Hey, I, I need to help some people. I need to make sure that uh, the people who feel like their rights and their their uh, their issues aren't being heard. That I need to be a voice to help to push that." Speaks to it. It speaks to who she is as a person uh, from the time she was a little child, and still pushing for that today. Still fighting, as she said in the clip, being passionate about what it is that uh, that she's interested in, and uh, seemingly that interest is is about equality for all people, from the foster children uh, to young women to to uh, you know uh, foreign affairs worldwide. No, absolutely, Dennis. Your thoughts on the congressman's words, congresswoman's words. Excuse me. She seems so, so very compassionate, and that's what I was getting out of that uh, last clip. I mean, it's just awesome. You know, you got to have compassion when you're dealing when you're a, a servant uh, to you know to the American citizens, and that's what 
That's what you become when you say, you know, I, I want to be a congressman or a congresswoman. Uh, you serve, you know, the, the citizens of this United States of America, and you have to be willing uh, to, you know, be, you know, take a, a different look and, and have different views and, and, and really be able to talk to others on the other side of the aisle and to make things happen. And, and you, you hear it. You hear it in what she speaks on and, and how compassionate she is about doing the right thing for our children. No, absolutely. And uh, I'll tell you, Lisa, uh, as I said earlier, the impact uh, that Congresswoman Bass has had on our lives in a very short period of time of meeting her, talking to her, I mean, how important to the American people that Spotlight on Capitol Hill takes a moment because it has changed my perception drastically since we've started this part of the, sh- uh, of the, sh- of the show, honoring our members up there. I think it's just I think it's vital that we get to know who these people are, and that's what this spotlight on Capitol Hill is allowing us to do. We have to get to know who the people are, what their passions are, why they do what they do, and what matters to them. When you start to learn those kind of things, it does change. It changes the way you look at things. It changes the way you look at politics in general and the political figures because you realize who they are, and being people as opposed to figures makes a big difference in what people see. No, absolutely. And uh, Cliff, remember, Lisa, you may remember this as well. When we were on the Hill, they had a huge hearing. This was quite a while back when the human trafficking issue uh, and children being trafficked uh, in our country and the destruction and sold into prostitution and the different children. Uh, Congresswoman Bass has not held her tongue on the importance of addressing this very troubling uh, issue, uh, which still is a major issue in this country. In major cities, uh, kids as young as 11, 12 years old uh, being put into human trafficking. And, and how do you sell humans? Uh, I mean, it, it just it goes, it goes back to, okay, you're talking about re-implementing or, or exposing the implementation of slavery, especially on level with children. I mean, you're talking about uh, kids being sold into the sex trade and right. and all these the these disgusting and despicable things with children and Congresswoman Bass I mean she doesn't hold her tongue about it she she expresses uh, exactly how she feels and what she wants to be done with it because I mean we we all understand that hey you know that that is just not right that is something that cannot be tolerated. But not everybody has a platform to be able to Absolutely. say, you know, I'm going to ensure that funds are put toward fighting this. I'm going to ensure that legislation is being put toward uh, fighting this, the, the human trafficking, trafficking. And Congresswoman Bass has been, uh, you know, monumental in ensuring that, okay, we have to protect the kids at all costs. Uh, again, they are the future of America. No, without question. And, uh, you know, Congresswoman Bass, she strikes me as the type of person that takes this home with her at night. You cannot be involved with such issues and it not stay with you when you go home, when you get up. This is the work of a, of a, of a patriot, of a warrior, if you will, that says, I have to get involved with the tough issues of America. A lot of people don't like to get down in the, the – let's not talk about child, children being sold in the prostitution, in the sex, 
slave trade and all these things that happened, Congresswoman Bass, what separates her, in my opinion, is the human element and the heart of a woman that says it cannot stop strictly with politics. It must start and end with a heart condition. That heart condition being a care and concern and love for the future of this nation. Let's hear what Congresswoman Bass had to say about the troubling effects of human and children trafficking. Lamalfa, January is human trafficking month, and I urge today to continue to be a voice for the countless victims of human trafficking in the United States. If we as members of Congress want to truly address the sex trafficking epidemic, we must face the facts. We must acknowledge and address the direct link between children in the foster care system and children who become victims of sex trafficking. For far too many children, the foster care system is an unwitting gateway to sex trafficking. This is a nationwide issue that requires a federal response. In 2010, 59% of the children arrested on prostitution-related charges in L.A. County were in the foster care system. A 2007 report from the U.S. Department of Justice found that 85% of identified child sex trafficking victims in New York State also had contact with the child welfare system. Further, according to the FBI, an estimated 70% of child sex trafficking victims in Florida had histories with the child welfare system. Children in the foster care system are our children. So when they fall victims to trafficking, it means that all of us have failed. To help all victims of trafficking, including foster youth, we must change our mindset on how we address this horrific crime. A child who cannot consent to sex should never be called a prostitute. The men who prey on them are not Johns, they are child molesters. T. Ortiz Walker Pettigrew is a former foster youth who became a sex trafficking victim. When she was 15 and still in foster care, T, as she is called, was arrested for prostitution. While serving time in juvenile hall, she discovered that more than half of the girls serving with her were also charged with solicitation and like her, were forced to sell themselves. She described her treatment in juvenile hall like how you would treat a dog in a kennel. She was put in a box and kept waiting. She was treated like a a criminal and did not receive any counseling or support services. Because she was punished and not helped, she was arrested again when she was 16 years old and she spent her 17th birthday in juvenile hall. I'm grateful that she found the strength and support to escape from her pimp. She now uses her voice to advocate for sex trafficking victims and to urge policymakers at all levels of government to do our jobs to prevent young girls from becoming sex trafficking victims. Well, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll tell you right now, Lisa, we talked before about the bar being raised, and we've had some fascinating people from Capitol Hill on this program. I am not, without fear of contradiction, I believe the bar has been raised tonight on AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Lisa, man, it takes a lot for me to become speechless, but right now, I am somewhat speechless. 
Now, I see that happen to you a lot more here on. I mean, what's going on on Spotlight on Capitol Hill? Lisa, please give me your thoughts and comments as a mother, as an advocate, as a... Wow. When you hear this, talking about the children, say, and the, the, the statistics that she quotes are absolutely insane. Yes, they are. Give me your thoughts, Lisa. It's... Wow. It's just, I mean, I, you hear these kind of things, you hear these things going on, and you uh, you read stories in the paper, and you hear about these different things, but when you hear her talk about them, it's a whole different, it's a whole different feeling. You hear, you don't just hear somebody just quoting statistics and talking about something that they've read. You hear someone who cares and who feels the pain of these kids. You hear someone who is wanting in some way to help to be to help the, the, these these children's lives, she wants to make the make their lives better. That's all she's looking for is to make their lives better. Well, go ahead, Lisa. No, and she, I mean that's you can hear it in everything that she's saying that I want I want to make it better. I want to make it right for them, and that's what somebody needs to do. No, absolutely, Cliff. Yeah, and, uh, the research team just sent me a stat that I just find staggering. It's from 2014. And it says 264,746 children entered into foster care. That translates to a child entering foster care every two minutes in the United States. And, and, and you take that number. I mean, you're talking about real close to 265,000 children. And the ones that are, are then pushed into the, uh, you know, the the sex trafficking, uh, the into prostitution. And one of the one of the main things that, you know, that Congresswoman Bass said in that last clip is that a child that cannot consent to sex should not be arrested or prosecuted for uh for prostitution. How does that make sense? That law needs to be needs to be repealed, reformed, whatever you want to call it, but you cannot you cannot Make force a girl to to go to jail for prostitution, and she's not even of the age to consent to sex. That is child abuse, and you're talking about 265,000 kids that could be out there having the same fate. And you see, Congresswoman Bass is fighting with everything in her, everything in her, to ensure that some kind of way she rescues as many of these children as she can. Well, the criminal justice system. The fact that you locked up these young girls, America should be ashamed. And you put this young girl after being a victim, no doubt, with unwanted sex, being violated that way, and you arrest her, and you put her in a box and keep her prisoner even further after this tragedy. It takes heroes. It takes champions. It takes warriors like Congresswoman Bass that says, I will step outside the comfort zone, and we will address the issues that are affecting our country, our nation. When she made the statement that many foster care children, uh, they actually birthday out, if you will, right. of foster care, which means there is no foundation of family. There is no foundation of security. 
Ladies and gentlemen of America, I'll tell you, I've said it once, but I say it with more emphasis tonight than I've ever said it. The people of California, when you sent Congresswoman Bass to our nation's capital, you could not have done it better. We're coming right back as we continue the spotlight on Capitol Hill of a patriot, a champion, a warrior making a difference in the hearts and lives of the American people all across the land. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters, our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. So most people don't understand the importance of exercising and eating right. Most people think it's about getting super buff or eating grass to keep that perfect bod, but to those who believe that are wrong. Exercising regularly and getting the right balance of nutritious food leads to a common diagnosis known as healthy. Now healthy may sound mainstream and boring, but it's real. It improves your immune system to prevent sickness, boosts self-confidence and controls body weight, gives you energy and improves your overall happiness. So next time you think that's not bad, think again and be the best you you can be. Just kidding. We'll talk about it. I've got to go home. Oh, come on, Carrie. You're going to a new place. She wants to go home, right? You okay to drive? I'm fine. Sure. Relax. What's a few beers? If you don't stop your friend from drinking and driving, you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill a friendship. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison like community service, drug treatment, 
and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And uh, I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and the entire AJC radio team tonight. We have uh, been moved to emotion tonight and sincere discussion about a lady on Capitol Hill by the name of Congresswoman Karen Bass. Uh, Tonight, our eyes have been opened to a great deal of the humanitarian spirit that shapes the nation. Congresswoman Bass has done some things and is doing things that I believe can never be contained in one, two, three, four, five shows, but would take more than that. Because when you break down the definition of a hero, a champion, a warrior for the children of America, It it cannot be contained simply in an hour or two, many times not even in a lifetime. Tonight we've had an opportunity to take a very sincere look and to bring the American people through the goggles and through the eyes of a leader of what is happening and what is important in American politics today. But so much more than that, what is impacting a nation, Lisa Cliff, Dennis, this is one of the, I use the the adjective, if you will, humdinger, doesn't seem to fit here. I don't know what adjective fits this level of the human spirit being implemented on our nation's capital. Dennis, your thoughts as we have found ourselves tonight at a loss of explanation of the sincere work of this young lady, Congresswoman Bass. Again, I say real and compassionate. I mean, she's just, she's got it all. And I tell you, it's really wonderful and, and to hear, you know, how much she's, she care about the foster children and, and how much she's truly concerned about their well-being and then making sure that, you know, something that they're not at fault for when she was addressing the, uh, the young women that are out there being, you know, trafficked you know, it, it's amazing to see, to see how she came back and said, no, nah, you know, let's call it like it is. You know, a, a, a pimp or a John, they're, they're no more than child molesters. And, well, there's and, real. And, and that was real. There you go. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm, just, I'm just thankful that we were able to spotlight her and, and, you know, let the American people know that, you know, she's doing some awesome things. Well, awesome, uh, awesome things, definitely. And, you know, as a result, Cliff, Lisa, uh, in January, as a result of the foster care initiative, the things that's going on in Washington right now uh, will be going on. Well, that has been going on in Washington, but will be going on the last week of May uh, this year. Uh, as a result of her efforts, in January 2013, President Obama signed into law the Uninterrupted Scholars Act, which was the first major piece of legislation 
shepherd through the house under the caucus leadership. Uh, and it goes back to the point we talked about earlier as far as the United States making it easier for caregivers to access educational records so they can assist foster youth with school enrollment and provide additional academic support in an effort to reduce school dropout rates. And since 2012, she has joined members of the caucus for a nationwide foster youth listening tour traveling the nation to examine best practices and challenging conditions that foster youth face in our country. And Congresswoman Bass, make no mistake about it, you are so vast in what you are doing, but you're doing those things that caught our attention tonight, which is something very passionate to your heart, and that that basically uh, comes down to the children of America in our future. Thank you so much, Congressman Bass, Congresswoman Bass, for taking time and for ha- giving us the privilege to spotlight you here on Capitol Hill, spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We so very appreciate it. Right now, folks, uh, definitely feel free to go to AJCRadio.com and uh, check out, uh, listen to this program even further. You can, you can hear all of this and all of our shows from Spotlight on Capitol Hill will actually be available to you. Right now, we take a look at a story, and we ask the question, what you didn't know about the RP 6 that some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Uh, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to jail. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. What you didn't know about the RP6, we find ourselves in a very difficult situation As we said last time on this program, and we will reiterate the facts, that a pastor by the name of Rose Banks 
of Colorado Springs Fellowship Church has been used as a pawn or a target, if you will, to administer a huge miscarriage of justice. She has gone through extreme grief as a result of a system that she believed to be correct, that she believed to be fair, that she taught all of her children to believe in, that if you do the right thing, justice will prevail. She is a mother of seven children, raised all of her children to believe that fact. Tonight, what you may not know or what you didn't know is we continue the series of the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church and Pastor Rose Banks being the target of an attack to administer injustice. Pastor Rose Banks came to Colorado Springs, Colorado in 1981 and continued a church by the name of Colorado Springs Fellowship and for 35 years has been an example of what is right and above reproach. Yet someone, the IRS, the FBI, and the U.S. Attorney's Office felt the need to target this 71-year-old pastor. Cliff, what we didn't know is that this pastor is not worthy of the injustice that has happened to her in this situation. Yeah, what we want to deal with uh, tonight, Lamont, is the the issue with, you know, you mentioned the IRS. There are specific guidelines that the IRS has to deal with when uh, investigating, uh, if you want to call it targeting, or whatever it is when it comes to dealing with uh, church financials. The IRS in, the, in this situation against Colorado Springs Fellowship and Rose Bank followed none of those protocols. First off, the IRS has to be, not should be, maybe, uh, can go about it that way. They have to be informed by someone in the church that deals with the books, that sees the money, that says, I think there's something going on wrong. That never happened in the case of Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Then after that person would inform the IRS, the IRS has to then contact the church and say, we would like to see your books. We're giving you a chance to offer them to us willingly. Then you would give the church the chance to respond to that. The IRS never sent a letter to Colorado Springs Fellowship. None of the protocol ever was followed by the IRS. And again, uh, Mr. Deutschner of the U.S. Attorney's Office under John Walsh up in Denver, Colorado, stood on the local news and said Colorado Springs Fellowship has never been under investigation. So then a just cause asks you, why do you have 9,000 pages of Colorado Springs Fellowship's banking records if there is no investigation, if the IRS is not investigating Colorado Springs Fellowship, if the IRS is not investigating Rose Bank, why do you have those banking records? And what is it about this woman that seems to threaten the government of the United States for preaching for 35 years in a church and for reaching out to the community, to law enforcement, to the military, for doing everything that you look at the tenants of a church should do, that she's been upholding that in the community with, uh, with her congregation, and the IRS and the U.S. Attorney's Office goes after her. Finds nothing, says, no, there is no investigation against Colorado Springs Fellowship or Rose Banks. So then why do you have the banking records? What are you looking for? Well, I'll tell you right now, Cliff, Pastor Rose Banks would be in a 
the folks, the United States government, the RF, FBI, U.S. Attorney's Office, I would call them repeat offenders because for five years they have they went into the private accounts of Pastor Rose Banks for five years, 365 days every year. You went into the, the to the books of this pastor of our church members, and you never stopped. This, my friend, is unacceptable. We will continue to look into the IRP6, and who are they? David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Notable Gary Walker and David Banks are family members of Pastor Rose Banks, a target and collateral damage to this huge miscarriage of justice. Right now, Lisa, we have the perpetrators of justice, and when I say perpetrators, that's exactly what they are. Lisa, who are they that are responsible for this miscarriage of justice for these six patriots of America? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Mullen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodreed, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Staten Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garagos, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that, Lisa. Uh, Cliff? Yes, we want to say thank you to everyone in the chat room, everyone who called in. Those calls that we weren't able to get tonight, we do apologize. You call back next show. We'll get you in. Also, I want to say thank you to our production team, K&D Productions, Captain Kyle, Dustin Jackson, helping out the old skills girl in the control room, making sure you hear what it is that we have to say. To our production support team, they give us accurate and up-to-date information, but we can pass that on to you. And to the truth, we know you're out there. We appreciate it. And thank you for that clip. And ladies and gentlemen of America, tonight, a humdinger doesn't do it justice as we have shined the spotlight on Capitol Hill with Congresswoman Karen Bass. I'll tell you what, folks, this woman has made an impact on the lives of, I'm sure, countless millions tonight across America. Thank you, Congresswoman Bass, for making a difference in a nation. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday and AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Good night, America. We'll see you next time. Good night. Good night. You solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you will take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter to help you God. Congratulations. You're now members of the 114th Congress. Hello, everyone. I know this is a powerful group of women I am speaking to. I wish I was there in front of you. I want to inspire and encourage all of you to think about continuing to be leaders in the community and to think about elected office. 
I really want to congratulate Mount St. Mary and the Ready to Run program for hosting this activity today. And I just have to tell you that in Congress, there's 435 of us. Only 17% are women. I can't emphasize enough the difference that it makes to have women in the room when decisions are being made. So we talk about work differently, we lead differently, and the issues we focus on are different. So I want to encourage you to run, look at a local level, look at the federal level, look at the state level. But you know what? Before you think about running, even more important than that, I want you to figure out what issue do you have passion around and focus on that issue. Get involved in your community first, become an expert in the area, and then take that issue to whatever government that you choose to get involved in and look at having legislative impact on that issue. So good luck today. I know that everybody in the room is already a leader. It's just a question as to whether or not you apply your leadership talent in the electoral arena. Now, given that I said there's only 17% of us here in Congress, I certainly hope you consider the House of Representatives. Thank you very much.